Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. I am now going to speak to a longtime friend of mine, Dr. Robert Lajita. He has been professor of medicine at NY Medical College, chairman of medicine in New Jersey's St. Joseph University Hospital, professor of medicine at Rutgers Medical School. He ran the, 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 the ambulances and everything in New Jersey. He knows everything. Lajita, tell me, tell me, yeah. tell me, since not everybody knows you like I do, start. Where are you from? Where did you begin? Where did I begin? In New York City, Cindy. That was where I trained clinically at Cornell Weill on the east side. And then I became chief of immunology and rheumatology at St. Luke Roosevelt Hospital on the west side. Then I went down to St. Vincent's Hospital in the village. And then in 2004, after 9-11, I moved to New Jersey. And I've been in New Jersey since 2004. Pardon the expression, but didn't you go to school where Fauci was? Oh, yeah. So... Fauci was a chief resident at New York Hospital before I arrived as a new intern. And I was at Rockefeller University, you know, that campus yeah. that's on the yeah. Upper East Side, yeah. for many years. And Fauci at that time, and now this is before HIV, before AIDS appeared, he used to come and have lunch with us. And my boss at the time, who was a very famous immunologist, would ask Tony, Tony, what are you going to do with your life? And Tony would say, well, I'm going to study this rheumatic disease. Well, it happened to be Wegener's granulomatosis. And he well, said, well, it happened to be very- what? What the hell is that? <laughs> what is that? It is a, it, it's a vasculitis, inflammation of the blood vessels. Okay. And anyhow, he was told, Tony was told that if you study that, you're going to be very poor. And lo and behold, at Sloan Kettering across the street from Rockefeller, you know where that is. Yeah. And your listeners do too. Uh, there appeared to be this huge population of gay men who developed very funny tumors and were really uh, having their immune systems depleted from what we thought was an inherited immunodeficiency. We called it gay-related immunodeficiency, GRID. And Tony Fauci by that time now was at the NIH, National Institutes of Health. And so he was very much aware of our studies in New York. And... um, and, you know, the rest is history, as they say. GRID became AIDS once, once Bob Gallo, who came up and visited us, found with Luc Montagnier from Paris that this was caused by the AIDS virus, the HIV virus. And so that was the early day, 1979-1980, when HIV first reared its ugly head in New York City and then in San Francisco and Chicago, etc., So, yeah, there's a lot of history, New York City. Very, very interesting history. There's a lot of history that you have been involved with, too, Bob. Tell us, before we go into a lot of stuff today, tell me about what is happening with coronavirus and the vaccine. Nobody understands what the hell is happening, what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to take our 75th shot. Tell us about it. (laughs) 
Well, we know that there are two vaccines that everyone should have, except for the J&J, which is a one-shot deal. The vaccines have been really created very rapidly, uh, particularly under the Trump administration, which accelerated the development and really using molecular biology in contradistinction to the old days when we used to inject dead viruses like the polio virus and other things into kids. We now have what are called messenger RNA viruses, which are uh, vaccines, which are very, very specific to the coronavirus. Now, the coronavirus is a relative of um, the common cold. And so it was logical to believe that this would be what we call an immune evasive virus. However, we found that by getting the vaccines, Pfizer, J&J, for example, Moderna, that you could avoid winding up in the intensive care unit. You might get uh, covid but you would not wind up in the hospital and die. Now, that's not true across the board. The reason I say that is certain ethnic groups, like the Hispanic population and the African-American population, seem to be far more susceptible to this virus than, say, the Asians or Caucasians. Also, fat people, people who are obese, tend to do poorly when they get infected with the coronavirus. So we went through, Cindy, remember, we went through the alpha and then we went through the delta, which was a horrible strain of this virus that killed a lot of people, millions of people. And then we wound up with the Omicron variant. The Omicron variant is more like a very, very severe common cold. Now, that's not the case for everybody. Some people who get the Omicron variant, they go out and they stop breathing and they die. And so there's been so much controversy, and I'm at the forefront of this because I have to listen to thousands of people talk to me about the fact that after they got the vaccine, they developed heart disease or they developed diabetes. And then there are those people who have had COVID but uh, were vaccinated but had COVID and wind up because of COVID having what's called a long haul syndrome. Listen, you're going, if I listen to you, I'm going to be dead by the time I finish the conversation. <laughs> so stop already with that. Just tell me, what should we do? We're simple people listening to you. What the hell should we do now? Well, we know that you should probably have a booster, at least one booster. Now, I was told we should have a second booster as well. I personally did not get the second booster because I had COVID after the first two shots. And as your listeners know, after you've had COVID infection, your immune system is pretty much primed. And it really is so efficient at eliminating a new infection for a period of months. So I would say if you can get the second booster and if you're over 65, I highly recommend it. It's a good idea. It's not going to make you sick. It's not going to kill you. Uh, As far as young people go, below the age of 65, and that that includes, uh, you know, not us, but the general population that's below 65, I don't think they need a second booster at this time. The virus is still out there, but it's not killing as many people. And I have to tell you, in our intensive care units, we're not seeing a lot of people with COVID. We see people who come into the hospital for other things that wind up getting COVID while they're in the hospital. Okay, okay, okay. I would like to ask you, how has the medical world changed? Hospitals are not taking people as much. Doctors see you for seven minutes, then throw you the hell out. What is happening to the medical fraternity? 
Well, doctors are not supposed to see you for just seven minutes. Doctors are supposed to take their time and listen to you as a patient. And as my patients will attest, if many, if any of them are listening, they know that I spend a good deal of time with them and I listen to every complaint that they have. I actually am assisted by some very advanced practice nurses that help me out. But now hospitals are in, a, in big trouble because a lot of them have lost their COVID funding and they depended on that so that they are laying people off in droves. And see, uh, there's a, there's a major issue with problems with care in that there are all sorts of other parameters that are part of the healthcare rendering system, such as length of stay. We have a lot of undocumented aliens, for example, in hospitals, that are not paying their bills because they have no money. We have a lot of poor Medicaid people who are in hospitals that don't have any money. So hospitals have to balance as safety nets the taking care of the poor people who have generally poor health and taking care of people who have means or money that can afford to pay their bills. Insurance companies, it seems, and this is why doctors spend five to eight minutes with each patient, insurance <laughs> companies are very limited in their their intention to pay for medical care. Every drug I write, I have to get authorization from the insurance company that takes care of patient Y or patient X. Okay, I, I got easy. I I got eight three eighty three thousand questions that I need to ask for you, Bob. Okay. I can't. <laughs> you you were there. You were working the triage system at nine eleven. Can yes. you? Go back in your memory and tell the listeners a little of what it was like when you were there at 9-11. Yeah, that was catastrophic, Cindy. And you know that because I, I do, was in I touch do, with I you do. through the whole process. I had Cindy on the phone yeah. talking to her about the, the path yeah. train, for example, crossing the Hudson was flooded. Yeah. And we heard noises underneath the collapsed towers and we thought people were trapped. I have to tell you that people have asked me, Cindy whether 9-11 and the pandemic had any similarities. And I simply said, well, the pandemic was like a prolonged 9-11. It was losing. I mean, if I could tell you how many dead bodies I would see per day, you wouldn't believe it. As many as 100 deaths a day were seen in the hospital. Now, during 9-11, it was a surprise for everybody. I, I went to the to the point where the towers were collapsing and I, I it was a surreal scene as I told you at that time yes with the number of dead I thought there were more uh, survivors and there were not I treated with our triage system maybe three to four hundred patients with just broken arms and legs and burns um, when I went to Rudy Giuliani's uh, trailer on 9-11 I said to the fire chief how many patients do we have because I had a field hospital that I was building, and he said about 20,000. Oh. And that blew my mind. I said, 20,000? How could that be? And he said, yeah. He said, that's how many are going. we're expecting. And, of course, history told us there were no, there were no survivors at all. We had the injured, and um, I refer you to a film on YouTube called 9-11 Emergency Room, which is very graphic and shows you what exactly happened on that day. But that was a five-day period day and night, where we took care of the injured, we, the displaced people with their pets. It was like Dunkirk. Remember Dunkirk, the Churchill movie 
Uh, yes, I do. You know what I, Bob, you know what I also remember? It was a time right afterwards when there was extreme patriotism. Taxi cabs even had the flag in their windows. Front, in right. the front of Park Avenue apartments, there were flags. Now yes. our country is falling apart and it was so full of patriotism then. Do you not remember that? I do. People came out of the woodwork. They were kind. I mentioned um, in my field hospital that I didn't have enough stethoscopes. And the next thing that happened is a truck pulls up and it dropped off several boxes of brand new stethoscopes. I also said we need food. And, and uh, you know, I don't know if you want me to mention the, uh, the restaurants that came forth and brought us steaks and hamburgers and French fries to treat the responders, to treat the people on the pile who were digging with their bare hands. Uh, it was just extraordinary, it, and people came together, and that was to some degree what we saw early in the pandemic. But now the country seems divided, and everybody's banging their own drum. And if we could just recover that patriotism that we had when we were commonly attacked, it would be a wonderful thing. What, does, what do we do today about aging the country is lasting longer the people are living longer what are we going to do about elderly people today what is the well, the way to handle it well Cindy, yesterday i was on some television station that went across the country about dementia you know by the by the year 2030 we're expecting 14 million cases of dementia because people are living so long no one knows who is going to get dementia and who is not. But it is a medical problem because we have no idea as to how to treat people with dementia. People have cognitive difficulties as they get old, but they don't have complete loss of memory. For example, not being able to recognize their husbands or wives or their children or where they live or what state they're in or what city they're in or unable to drive a car. That's going to increase. That's number one. Number two, we don't have enough neurologists or geriatricians. Those are specialists that take care of the elderly. We don't have enough of them, specialists, to diagnose and manage these, old, these aging individuals. And thirdly, we don't have enough nurses and nurses' aides and nursing homes that specialize in cognitive disabilities. So as the population ages... And I mean, we're seeing people living way beyond 100 years of age. When the population ages to that degree, we have to come up with a way to take care of people who are suffering from dementia and have multiple other health problems as well. Okay. You have now given me a very happy, very up half hour. It's so joyful to speak to you. I am not one who's too old to have a nice steak, and I'm expecting you to buy it, Bob. I've known I you will. 40 years. The time has See, come. I owe you a big dinner. I'll Thank take you. it. And I love you, Bob. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, honey. Go back and do something to, for somebody. Okay? All right, honey. Okay. Thanks. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.